What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, please. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3. And, you know, sometimes people are like, man, Pastor Chris, man, the guy just preaches way too long. And I'm giving you this verse so that you can tell them it's not long enough. It's not long enough. Anyway, here's what it says. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. So listen, I'm biblical, but I ain't that biblical. Who wants to stay for a quarter of the day? Can I get a witness? Anyway. It's funny, when I was speaking to the underground church in China, they wanted to stay not the quarter of the day. They went from nine to nine. They wanted to keep going 12 hours straight. Like this, pins out, hungry, hungry, passion. We live in a society, we want to be entertained. So it says they stood up in their place. It's important today as the word is preached, and if you're taking note, do I have a verse for that? Say that. Do I have a verse for that? One more time because you didn't do it. Do I have a verse for that? Everything in your life should be tied to a verse. Everything. Oh, I'm spirit-led. Let me tell you something. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. You want to be spirit-led? That spirit should have a word confirming what the spirit is leading you to do. And if it's not, then it's not the spirit. The word of God always, always goes with the spirit of God and vice versa. And so... I want you to stand up. We are going to stand up. We are going to turn to 2 Timothy 4.1, which is where we are today. 2 Timothy 4.1, we're going to stand up and we are going to read just like they did in Nehemiah chapter 3, where they stood up and they worshiped the Lord their God. So why do you stand up to read, Chris? Well, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3. We're reading out of the ESV. If you don't have the ESV, just read in your own heart. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, 
Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord The righteous judge will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit today, that there would be such a love for the word of God in this place, that everybody who hears would come under it. Your word is your breath. We honor it today, Lord. And these eight verses are our identity and destiny that you have called us to walk in. And so I pray, God, that you would illuminate this text, that you would remove the lies of the enemy, and you would bring freedom in this place today, that your children would bring you joy because they're walking in your word. And God, if this happens, we will see revival. And we press into that. We cry out for that, God. We lift up our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are being hunted and persecuted. We pray for the women. We pray for the children as well. And we ask for your mercy, God. We ask forgiveness for our nation's leadership or lack thereof. And we pray for your mercy, Lord, and we pray for your gospel that it would explode. We thank you for what you're doing in Iran where Christianity is illegal, where it's growing faster than anywhere else, God. So we just, we just lift them up to you, God. And we ask that you would move in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. We're going to play a video uh, now, and uh, you can just pay attention. It's two minutes here. was I don't want to lose. At that point, I stopped believing. I didn't think we could win the game. I thought the game was over. We went to the timeout. He tried to infuse some confidence in us and tell us, you know, we're going to win. We have a chance to win. Coach in that huddle had us believing. By the time we went went out of the huddle and went back on the court to execute our play, I really felt that we were going to win. 2.1 seconds left. I know he asked me a question, if I could make the pass, and I said I could. He said, Christian, can you make the catch? And I said, yes. I just walked out of that huddle with a feeling that we were going to win. Once we went on the court and we broke the huddle, the only thing I worried about was getting the ball in my hands. I wanted to make sure I catch the ball because 
If you don't catch the ball, if you don't get the ball in your hands, the whole play is over, the play never happens, there's no Kentucky shot, you know, everything else is secondary. So some of you are like, uh, <clears throat> any Kentucky fans, please don't leave the church, okay? I know that's painful. Some of you jits, don't even, that was 1992. That was an amazing thing, so you're welcome. And some of you are like, Chris, what are you doing, man? Are you going like seeker sensitive? Next, you know, ne next week, what are you going to do, poems before your sermon? You going to tell jokes before you preach? Don't judge me. <laughs> we are in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to understand something. This is the last chapter that the Apostle Paul wrote before he had his head chopped off. He was waiting execution. This is the last chapter that he ever wrote, and he was writing it to his son in the faith, Timothy. And did you hear what was going on in the huddle? There's a reason why I played that, because look, they went into the huddle thinking we lost. They came out listening to Coach K, thinking that they were going to win. And, and today, I pray that you come in here, Abby, with your little cup of coffee, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to go visit this church today. Got my latte. That ain't today. Today is the last chapter of Paul's life that he wrote to Timothy. And there is a reverence, there is a fear, there is something that is raw and real, and it is serious. And you need to understand, this just wasn't a game to win to go to the final four. This is it. This is the last thing before I go. And so I'm about to put you in the fear of the Lord. I want you to look at 2 Timothy 4.1. It says, I solemnly, another translation says, I solemnly charge you. That word charge is, means a forceful order. We live in a society where everybody gets a trophy. We live in a society where because of bad authority, we don't respect authority because we think authority needs to be earned. And no, the Bible says you honor the position, 
doesn't matter what the person does. And Paul is saying to Timothy, he's solemnly charging you. It's a forceful order. It's a directive. It's not something that you pray about. This isn't something today that you're going to pray about. Like this, this, this is orders from God. And not only to heighten that solemn charge, forceful order, he says, in the presence of God and in Christ. Like I tell my kids to do something. Hey, please do something. But I say, hey, look, look at me. I'm standing in the presence now. This is, this is serious. I'm in the presence of God, and I'm about to tell you something. Who is to what? Judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. He's going to judge the living and the dead, his appearing and his kingdom. So, Christians, if you're taking note, there's going to be three judgments according to God's word. Three judgments. Okay? And I'm going to give you all three, and I'm going to give you scripture to all three so that you can see I'm not up here lying to you, but I'm preaching the word to you. And pray that your heart is right so that you receive it. So the first judgment is called the Bema Seat Judgment. The Bema Seat Judgment. I want you to turn, and by the way, keep your place in 2 Timothy chapter 4 because we're going to be coming back here every single time we flip somewhere. We're always going to come back because this is where we've been as we're going through the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy. We've been through chapter 1 and chapter 2, and so we're always going to be coming back, but I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Every Christian will be at this judgment. Every Christian. It says, For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, and you want to highlight day, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. In my singles class, I tell a story that when I was single and trying to mingle, I was driving in my volunteer van, and there was a girl in the back that I liked, but thank you, Jesus, I didn't marry her anyway. Thank you, God. I got the Queen Colleen now. Woo! But I'm on 45th, and there's a bunch of kids in the van, and we're going somewhere, 45th and Australian at the light right down there. And I'll never forget this. There is this homeless guy or a guy going across the street in a wheelchair, not homeless, but, but a, a guy in a wheelchair. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like looking at the light, looking at him. Looking, I'm like, dude, that dude ain't going to make it. And I'm like, I'm like kind of laughing, right? This guy ain't going to make it. And you're thinking, hey, don't judge me. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm still recovering from myself, okay? But that's where my mindset was. And then all of a sudden, I remember homegirl was in the back. Put the van in park, jumped out the car, super Christian, Helping homeboy across. I saved the day. Strong in Christ. Look at girl, what I did. 
Guess what? My motive was from homegirl. It looked real Christian. It looked real good, impressive. But guess what? That ain't making it through. That got burned up because it wasn't for him and it wasn't for Jesus. It was for her. How do I know that? The Holy Spirit convicted me. I'm forgiven. Quit judging me, by the way. I've repented a long time ago. That's why I don't help nobody across the street. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not going to make it through the fire. Do you know in Revelation 19:11 it says that Jesus has fire in his eyes? Like, there's a lot of dudes spitting game on girls, right? You need to pray. You need to pray, God, give me that kind of fire that I can see the real from the fake. What's true, what's not true? Discernment. And so there's stuff that's not going to make it through that you are doing. Some of you are evangelizing wrong motives. Some of you are serving wrong motives. Some of you are doing the Christian thing wrong motive. And so we need to be aware we're going to stand before Christ at the Bema seat. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it going to make it through the fire? Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Fear the Lord, fear the Lord, break through. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I want you to flip over a few pages to 2 Corinthians 5.9, please. Second Corinthians 5.9. It says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Highlight that. John chapter 8, Jesus says, I always do the things that please the Father. Is that my motive? Is that your motive? Or are you trying to please this girl that you brought today because you want her to believe you're a real Christian so you're going to go all in on that worship to impress her and let me just tell you that's going to get burned up is your aim to please Christ and the cry God please don't let me do anything that would bring glory to my name you desire no flesh glory in your presence God I want to please you, God, for you. Not to be something, not to do something, not to become something, but to please you because I love you, God. And may my heart be pure. Purify me, God. See, I'm getting you ready. These cries get you ready for the Bema seat, which Christian you will be at. Are you living to please him? Verse 9, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, 
And I hope it is known also to your conscience. There's a fear and a reverence for God. So that I bear God, ah, please, I want to, I want to, I want to do everything for the right motive. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon of the Mount, he warned, he warned his followers. He said, beware, beware, beware. Why beware? Because it is our tendency to try to be super Christians, to impress people. It's our tendency to, to impress the community that we're in. So if we're in the Christian community, it is your tendency. And that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, hey, beware of practicing your righteous deeds before others. Because that's going to be your reward. That's it. That's not going to make it if you're doing it to impress other people. And so what are the practices? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, it's giving, it's fasting, and it's praying. So listen. Don't come and tell me that you're fasting. You just lost your reward. You might as well go get a Chipotle. Chipotle, Chris, Chipotle. And if you are fasting, my, my bad for tempting you, but man, that burrito's good. See, I want you to struggle so it'll be a reward. You don't, you know, I, I remember one time a single, we're, we're all going single mingle, you know. Everybody's ordering nachos. Waiter comes. Oh, I'm not eating. Well, hey, hey, Bobby, wh- wh- why aren't you eating? I don't know if his name was Bobby. I can't remember. I just remember this. Oh, hey, I'm, I'm not eating. I'm just here to fellowship. I'm, I'm fasting. Dude, go home. <laughs> go home. All right? We know you're the super Christian. Go home. Right? Don't do your stuff before people. That's your reward right there. Bema seat. I want you to turn to Matthew 25, 41, please. So the first one is the Bema seat judgment. Every Christian is going to stand before Jesus, and some of your stuff's not going to make it through. Some of my stuff's not going to make it through. But I want to be so pure and holy and blameless as I walk with God that why do what I do? It's because my heart is right before God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. When you walk with a purity of heart, you will see God move in your life. Well, I don't see God move in my life. Maybe it's because you're not walking with a pure heart. Jesus made that promise. Maybe your motives aren't pure for why you're doing what you're doing. So, Bema Seeds 1, number 2, is the sheep and goat judgment. The sheep and goat judgment. And that's where we are in Matthew chapter 25. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. See, some people have a problem with hell. No, you don't. You have a problem with Jesus. Don't get it twisted. 2541, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed. And again, this is Jesus talking. Into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You want to highlight that. Hell wasn't prepared for man. It was prepared for, according to Jesus, the devil and his angels. Man chooses to go there when they reject God. Well, you say, hey, how can a good God send someone to hell? Well, number one, that's a bad question because the Bible says there is no one good, no, not one. We are all rebels in our heart. We all give the middle finger to God. 
because you will not rule over me. I will not do what you want to do. I will do what I want to do. We don't say it like that, but we live like that as rebels. And the cross is an estimation of what we deserve. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so God's wrath was satisfied on the cross because of my behavior. I'm a rebel through and through. Thank you, God, for the gospel. And by the way, to answer that question again, Romans 1, you can look it up at your own time. Because creation is so evident, every person on this earth is without excuse. Every person is without excuse. Only a fool can look at this world and say, Big Bang happened. There's no God. No. Scripture says this. Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I want you to understand something here. Jesus talked and described hell more than any other writer in the Bible. If hell is not real, then Jesus lied. Jesus doesn't only reference hell. He describes it in great detail. He says it's a place of eternal torment, Luke 16, of unquenchable fire, Mark 9, where the worm does not die, Mark 9, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, Matthew 13, from which there's no return. They can't even warn their loved ones, Luke 16. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, Matthew 25, 30, comparing it to Gehenna, Matthew 10, 28, which is where the trash dump was outside Jerusalem, where there was a constant burning and maggots abounding. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven, and he describes it more vividly than heaven. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned in the absolute reality of hell. Some of you are like, dude, this guy's a little extra. Listen, this guy, I believe in hell. And some of you that have rejected Christ are going to go there. And you know what you're going to remember? You're going to remember this guy. Telling you to turn from your sinful, wicked lifestyle. Bow your knee to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. And say, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I no longer want to be the king of my life. You are my king now. And I'm going to follow you with my life forevermore. But some of you continue to harden your heart, and there's no place in your heart for Christ. And what I'm sharing with you now is your future. It's your future. And if I don't warn you about hell, then I don't love you. Just like if I didn't warn my children, don't walk across the street, I did not love them. Please don't harden your hearts. Hell was not prepared for you. It was prepared, according to Jesus, for the devil and his angels. But you will choose to go there if you reject what he did on that cross. 
the third judgment that's going to happen is, and I want you to turn to Revelation 20, please. Revelation 20. This is the third judgment that's going to happen. It's called the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. And so, so again, we have Bema Seat for, just for Christians. The sheep and the goat judgment where Christians and non-Christians are separated out. And the non-Christians are going to go to the great white throne judgment. And let's look at it. It says in verse 11. Revelation chapter 20, then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. Hey, listen, you can't save the planet. Stop recycling. It's a free word for you. And no place was found for them. If I offended you, I'm sorry. Come, come talk to me afterwards. Verse 12. See, we, we live in an age that's really, really prideful, like you can save the planet. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, this is the second death, the lake of fire, you have a choice to be born again and be born twice, or you will die not only once, but you will die twice. And you won't die. You'll go on forever remembering this day. Why? Why did I put my friends over that? Why did I put having sex out of marriage over that? Why did I put drugs or whatever over that? Why did I put gaining the whole world? I've lost my soul and I'm in this place of torment forever. Why did I not follow you, Jesus? Why did I not surrender? If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If God doesn't punish evil. He's not a just God. Hitler killed millions of Jews. Killed them because they were Jewish. And he took a pill and he killed himself. He got away. I want to tell you something. You don't get away. God is watching. He is a righteous judge. And, and I'm going to stand before him. Hey, Chris, why should I let you in? Here's my answer. You shouldn't, but, 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 but my faith, it's in what Jesus did on the cross. And so that's what I'm trusting in, not my works. Not my works. It's what you did, Jesus, and I, I put my faith in you. There's a weight to this passage. This is heavy stuff. And, and, and some of us have gotten mixed up in social justice movements. You understand this, that the only one that can measure out justice is God and God alone. And we're complaining to men who are corrupt that can never give us justice. You got your ladder up against the wrong wall. 
my God will measure out justice one day. And the Apostle Paul knew that, and you know why? He said, at my defense, nobody came to stand with me. That's next week, by the way, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Everybody deserted me. Let it not be charged among them. Let it not be charged to them. Paul understood the fear of the Lord. And his homies sold him out. And he wasn't like, destroy them, God. He said, may it not be charged among them, because he knew judgment was coming. He knew judgment was coming. If you have to get justice, you might not know the God of justice. 2 Timothy 4.1, please. Does it mean we don't bring justice? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I said what I meant. I've gotten my eyes off of man who will never give justice, and I got him on God who will bring justice. 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Heavy, heavy, heavy. Heavy. This is serious. This ain't the fourth quarter. This is the fourth chapter. And I'm about to die. Timothy, I want you to get this. I want you to understand there is nine imperative statements. If you, Nick, if you could put up imperative, define it. Listen, imperative, it means essential, it means expressing a command, it means authoritatively or absolutely directive. We don't live in a society, we live in a society that's whatever you think, however it makes you feel, you got to find your truth. No. Paul is going to give nine imperative commands and directions, and you're like, Settle down, pastor. I'm like, no, these are nine imperative, these are commands. I'm going to go pray about that. No! Pray that you'll say, yes, Lord. Burn this into me because this is who I am in you and this ain't an option for me anymore. I'm all in, chips all in, Jesus. Verse two. Preach. That's imperative. Command. This word meant a herald that would go through the town on behalf of the emperor, and he would say, hey, this is the new law, or hey, we're having this meeting. And he would herald, and he would proclaim out loud what was going on in the kingdom. That's what that word means. Preach the word. You want to highlight that? Preach the word. Don't preach your opinions. Don't preach your feelings. Do you have a verse for that? Why do you believe that? Do you have a verse for that? Be ready. Be ready. Again, it's not an option. It's a command, and it's imperative. Be ready. Be prepared. Be alert in season and out of season all the time. Reprove. Reprove means to correct behavior or false doctrine. There's a lot of false doctrine in our American church today. And the only hope is that the churches would come under the word of God in order to function properly. And so we need, as people, we need reproved. I used to live and walk this way, but I'm reproved. So now I believe it, my behavior's changing according to the word of God. The word of God is useful for that. The word rebuke, it means to bring someone to repentance. 
to bring someone to repentance. They used to think this way. Now I gave them the word, and now they have a decision to make. Am I going to repent or not? I see it a lot of time in, in dating. Okay, PBM, I got a lot of good stuff for you today. 2 Corinthians 6.14. You should highlight that, write that down, read it at your own time. But here's what it says. Don't be unequally yoked, a believer with an unbeliever. What does light have in common with darkness? Nothing. What does yoke mean? Connected, yoked together. Two animals will be yoked together. So, oh my gosh, this guy, he's just really, really nice. He's really good looking. You could wash clothes on his stomach. But... He just, he doesn't know Jesus. He's not a Christian. What do you think I should do? Oh, you know what I, you know, I saw a show on Oprah one time. Let me forward it. No, no. You say, hey, turn to 2 Corinthians 6.14 with me and let's look at what it says. And she's she's like, well, I, I think I need to pray about this verse. No, 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 no. You need to do this verse. Oh, but I think I'm going to bring him to Christ. Can you trust God to bring him to Christ? Because we don't want to be people that disobey the word. See, see, some people need rebuked by the word of God because they're living wrong. They're not obeying. They haven't been preached the word. And that's our job. It's what we're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. I'm supposed to do. Give the word. So rebuke, exhort, exhort. That means to, to, to come alongside, to cheer someone on. Well, I don't really want to do it. Hey, but you know what? If you do, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to pray for you. We'll pray together for him that maybe he will come into the kingdom. And so you encourage, you lift up. What's the next thing? It says with compete. Complete patience. I have in there on my notes the emoji with the big eyes. You know why? Because I was convicted. No. Really, Chris? Yeah. Pray for me. Put PC above it. That I would preach, rebuke, exhort, reprove with complete patience. My tendency, hey, this is what the word says. Call me when you're doing it. No, that's not patient. (laughs) Help me, God, to be patient. Help me to be patient with those who are really struggling with issues. Help me to be patient to walk with them in a loving way. And then it says in teaching and instruction. And so I I, want to do something. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 1.3, please. 1 Timothy 1.3. You need to put your seatbelt on because it is go time. And I need you to highlight things that I tell you to highlight, unless you don't want to do it. Pray about your authority issues, by the way, okay? I don't like it when people tell me to stand and sing. Well, Nehemiah 9 3. <laughs> Does that mean every time? No, it doesn't actually. So it doesn't mean every time you have to. All right, here we go. 1 Timothy 1.3, 1 Timothy 1.3. I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge. You see that charge again? That's a direct order. Certain people not to teach any different doctrine. So church, listen up. Other people are gonna teach poor doctrine. Church, we need to know this. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 2.7. 1 Timothy 2.7. It says, for this I was appointed a preacher, and I want you to highlight preacher, 
and an apostle, I'm not lying, a teacher, and highlight teacher. So preaching and teaching, that's what Paul did. I remember going to a church one time, and after I got done preaching, the youth pastor pulled me aside and said, hey, I didn't bring you here to preach to my kids. I was like, what? Are you reading your Bible, bro? What did you bring me here to do? You must not know me. Anyway, I didn't say that. I was trying to be as nice as possible. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. It says that elders are to be able to teach. Highlight that word teach. Teaching is important. Doctrine is important. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 3.15. 1 Timothy 3.15. And I want you to highlight the church of the living God is a pillar and buttress of truth. So the church is a place where truth comes from. Truth comes from the church. It doesn't come from outside into the church. It comes from the church. First Timothy 4.1. First Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit says in the in the later times, the last days, some's gonna, some people will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. You want to highlight that. People are going to leave this church and give into the teaching of demons. This church, that church, and we'll talk about why in a little while. First Timothy 4, 6. Paul's saying, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, trained in the what? words of the faith and good doctrine. Preach the word, preach the word. First Timothy 4.11, command and teach these things. Preach the word. First Timothy 4.13, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Highlight that. Don't neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by the prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things. Reading scripture, teaching, right? Preaching, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself, motive, pure heart, and on your teaching, highlight teaching, persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and the hearers. This is why we preach God's word. 1 Timothy 5, 7. 1 Timothy 5, 7, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders rule well, especially double honor, especially those laboring what? Preaching and teaching, highlight preaching and teaching. First Timothy 5, 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you, that's a forceful order, to keep these rules without prejudging. So he's, you keep this doctrine, Timothy. First Timothy 6, 2. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Good teaching should lead to godliness. Not to living how you want. Second Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter one, verse eleven. Paul was a preacher, and he was a teacher. He preached, and he also taught. Second Timothy one thirteen. It says, follow the pattern of sound words. Doctrine is important. 2 Timothy 2.2, he's to look for men who are faithful and reliable who will be able to teach others also, that's you. 2 Timothy 2.14, remind them of these things, charge them, that's that forceful order, 
Don't quarrel about words, which does no good, Facebook, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present to yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. What? Rightly handling the word of truth. So you should be able to take the Bible and rightly divide that thing. Everybody here. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, Facebook, but be kind to everybody, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness that God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Those who do not obey sound doctrine are under the snare of the devil. 2 Timothy 3, 7. He talks about these two people. They're always learning, never able to not arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And these guys, Jonas and John Braze, they oppose the truth. So truth is important. Preach the word. 2 Timothy 3.10. You, however, have followed my teaching. Preach the word, Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.15-17. And from childhood... You've been equated with the sacred writings, preach the word, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scriptures read out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for the training in righteousness that the man may be complete, equipped for every good work. Everything you'll ever have to do in your life, it's found in the word of God. Obey it and live it. And this brings us in to the chapter we're in. 21 times. Timothy has been saying, first book and seven, second book, preach the word, preach the word, doctrine, 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 teach the word, it's the word, it's the word, it's the word. This is serious. He's about to die. And most of us do not have God's word in its rightful place in our lives. That's just the reality. That's why people say of the church, it's a bunch of hypocrites. Because we know and they know what the word says, but there's no desire to obey it. And that's where our hearts should break. Oh God, may your word reprove me, may it correct me, may it exhort me. And I want to tell you something, if it's your first time here and you're still church hopping on where to go, wherever you go, if those, and and you're blessed wherever you go, you don't belong to me, you belong to Jesus. He will guide you. But I want you to understand, this passage is important. If the word of God is not honored, if there is nothing that rebukes you, if there is nothing that reproves you, and if there is nothing that exhorts you, you better run for us, run. Because I'm not here today to please you. I'm here to please God. My job is to get you ready to stand before Christ. And you will give an account one day. Verse 5, 2 Timothy 4, as for you, and I want you to put your name above you, please, if you feel that, it's not a charge. Always be sober-minded. Be sober-minded, that's an imperative. The Greek word is nepho, to be free from intoxicants. To be free from intoxicants. Listen, if you're intoxicated, you're not ready in season and out of season. You're stumbling and mumbling. Endure suffering, another imperative word. It means to suffer evil. 
Christian. We already read that last week, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 12. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution because of your desire to be godly. Then it says, do the work. That's an imperative statement. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill or bring to completion your ministry. I want you to understand something. Paul doesn't call him an evangelism evangelist. He does not say, okay, Timothy, you have the gift of evangelism, but he says, do the work of an evangelist. Most of us don't do the work of an evangelist. Let me list some reasons. Number one, the Jehovah's Witness ruined that from us, right? I don't want to be the one knocking at your door, okay? They kind of ruined that thing for us, didn't they? Anyway, I thought that was funny. Some of us don't want to bother people. Some of us don't see an urgency because we don't see people like Jesus saw them. Jesus looked at the crowds. He saw they were helpless, harassed sheep without a shepherd. And he prayed and he called his disciples. Some of us are afraid. There's a spirit of fear over you. Some of you say, well, that's not my gift. I'm not an evangelist. Some of you say, I don't know enough. And some of us are in a bubble where all we hang out is people that talk Christianese. And here's what I just want to submit to you. We've already have some reasons here. Number one, hell is real. So if I really believe it, Jesus, I'm going to have a brokenness for people. And I don't really care about them enough to share Jesus. Forgive me for that, Jesus. Help me to believe in hell. See, my thing is, I need the church to believe in hell. Not people that are not in the church. If the church believed in hell, we would all become evangelists. Also understand, Jesus gave a command in Mark 16. He said, preach the gospel. Go into the world, proclaim the gospel to every creation. But also, God, give us a passion for the gospel because testimonies happen. And Nick, if you have that, that video, if you could go ahead and play that video, please. Testimonies so I grew happen. up in the inner city of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and um, I was the only child that my mom had. My mom had me when she was 15, and uh, probably a year later, she became addicted to heroin. You know, watching my mom put heroin, you know, in her veins, you know, shooting up the needle, getting everything ready, um, men coming in and out of the house, doing the same thing, you know, in different locations. So just living in a house where people and drug addicts would just come in and out. And, and I can remember that as a child. So growing up in the hood, um, I just can just remember just all the darkness that was there. Gangs, drug deals, um, prostitution everywhere. People getting shot, you know, people running from the cops. Being raised dead smack in the middle of that. That's all I knew. That's all I saw. My family was very heavily involved in gangs, and they were part of Latin King gangs. The Latin Kings was a group of Latin Hispanic uh, gang members, um, men, women, from all type of Latino culture, and uh, they were all across the nation. I became part of that just naturally. Um, my mom was a Latin queen. My uncle was a Latin king. Um, family being in and out of prison. You know, I had three uncles in prison. Um, and so that, that's the type of uh, stuff as a teenager that I grew up in. Growing up without, you know, um, a mom in your life, 
because I felt like my mom chose drugs over me, chose men over me, chose her life over me. There was this sense of void, this rejection, this abandonment um, that I grew up with. And so in order to fill the void of my heart, um, you know, I looked to other things. It was men, drugs, alcohol, money, um, and then it was the gangs. And what the gangs normally do, especially this one, um, is they offer you a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. You know, they, they, they promise and commit to you to be a family. And so those are the things that I was looking for in life. I became a mom at the age of 16, and I was still part of that life, the party life, the gang life, the drug life. When, when I told my mom, uh, you know, again, she was bound by drugs, and uh, I told her that she would not be able to touch or see my son unless she got cleaned up. And um, that was the moment where she realized that she had to change. She ended up going into a rehab program um, where uh, then she did uh, have an encounter with the Lord. And uh, through that, that's how God became real to me because, you know, I always wanted her to change so that she can be there as a mom for me. And when this happened, it was like, wow, there is a God. My mom ends up getting saved. I end up uh, going to church with her and uh, hearing testimonies and stories that resonate with my life. And I said, God, if you could do it for them, you can do it for me, you can do it for us. And so um, I remember just going home one time and just having this dream and God just calling out my name. Just, I see him in this figure. I don't see his face. He's reaching his hand down to me. And he says, Damaris. And I said, who are you? And he says, Damaris again. And I just reach out and I grab his hand and I just open up. You know, and so that weekend, it was, uh, I, I remember it was July 15, 1994, at a Christian hip-hop concert that weekend, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. So, um, yeah, I get saved, and I get involved in youth ministry, I get involved in um, prayer ministry, um, evangelism, that's where I also met my husband, Nestor. In 1995, I end up getting married, and... Um, and then shortly after, I end up uh, getting pregnant with Destiny. And so, um, you know, it, it started off in a, in, in a beautiful way, and, but we, all, we faced some challenges with that. On the seventh year of our marriage, you know, I come to find out that uh, my husband, you know, had a moral failure, and he confessed to having an affair with another woman. And so um, uh, it was very devastating. It was very painful. Um, that's what led us to move to Florida. It was in Florida that we would find the help and the healing that our marriage needed, and we were both willing to say yes, to leave everything that we knew back home and to come to Florida just to, to get our, our marriage, you know, the help that we needed, the healing that we needed, um, the hope for our marriage to be restored again so that we can raise our family. And, um, and so that's what we did. I'm just thankful and grateful that God can take the past and the trauma and the pain from my past as an unbeliever and the past and the pain and the trauma of when I was a believer and I went through all that stuff um, and bring it together and now offer hope and healing and, and to create a story of redemption, of restoration, that God is able to heal. God is able to take your, your most painful places and turn them around and use them for his purpose. So there's purpose in our pain, and there's hope 
and there's healing for our trauma in, in, in our past. Our past doesn't define us. Mm. It's him. It's, it's his redemptive and restorative plan that defines us. God took me from the inner city and from the darkness of that, and he rescued my life. He put a purpose and plan in me, brought me back all the way to Florida, full circle back into the inner city so that I can, so I can be a messenger of hope and of life. And um, even with my marriage, even with my husband, and now we're doing ministry together. Now we minister from those places of pain and those places of failure and say, hey, you know, we can offer hope. We can offer some wisdom. We can offer some counsel. Like, it's not the end. Yeah, it's devastating. Yes, it's painful. But it's not the end of the story because God takes our story and he turns it. It's for his glory. And so we just say, yes, Lord, just use our lives in whatever way. If God can use our brokenness and our pain to help bring healing and hope to someone else's pain and someone else's marriage, then it's all worth it. And so, God, I, I just pray that you would help us. We are not ashamed of the gospel. It has the power to save and transform lives. Help us, God, to move past our fears. To understand that hell is a real thing. That you've called us all to preach the gospel this message, God, that will transform lives and begin to fix the broken places that people are walking in. And so, Father, we just ask that you would just come and give us a passion, God, to bring people into a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, I wasn't done, but... You're, you can come up. You can come up here. That, was, that wasn't a closing prayer. I just felt led to pray. Nick, can you turn the lights on real quick. I, I am almost done though. Stage just got way better looking. Okay, that's all. That's all. Verse six, Second Timothy. They thought it was an imperative command. Here's what it says: I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, and the time of my departure has come. Again, he's going to have his head chopped off because he was a Roman citizen. They couldn't crucify Roman citizens. So he knew that was going to be happening. This is his last letter. He said, I've fought the good fight. That word fought is where we get the word agony from. Agonizo, if anybody's Greek here, forgive me. Agony. This is not an, a light thing. This is a hard fight. And Paul's saying, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've completed what God has given me to do, and I've kept watch over my faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Are you going to get that crown? Are you going to get that crown? Paul knew he was going to get that crown which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. Again, I pray that you would realize the weight of this last chapter here. 
These things are to be pondered and thought about, but also with the place, oh, God, help me to obey you even if I don't want to. Please, God, change me. I need you. And this is why we're going to worship for 30 minutes, because I can tell you something. There's a lot of people that are not walking in 2 Timothy 4, 8. We just want more, Lord. Some takeaways are your motives. Are your motives pure before God and how you're moving? What are your motives? Second thing, are you really, really going to begin to preach the word, live in the word, and know the word of God? God, I repent for not having your word. Uh, uh, Psalm 138.2 in the New King James, it says this, you've exalted your word above your name. We treat God's word with dishonor and disrespect like it's another book on the shelf. God, we repent today. We see the importance of the word of God. And then finally, do the work of the evangelist. Again, your motive is just so extremely important in this because there's people that are evangelizing and their motive's wrong. Well, what do you mean, Chris? I was at Glades Correctional Facility when it was opened. I was talking to a guy who was in there, and he was in there for sexual stuff with underage it started off in porn. He was in full-time ministry while he was watching porn. It led to other things, prostitution, and it led to other things. And he got arrested. He lost his family, and he went to jail. And I was talking to him in prison, and he says, you know what I was doing the whole time while I was doing that stuff? I would go to the beach, and I would share the way of the master tracks with people, and I would share the gospel. He was sharing the gospel because he felt bad because he knew what he was doing. That motive. And now's the time you get to come under the presence of the Holy Spirit because God is here. God is my motive, pure, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Give me a passion for evangelism because people are going to go to hell because you've commanded me to do it. And also, God, I want to see lives change just like Damaris's, where coming from grandma doing heroin and just corruption and gangs and violence and that kind of environment, where someone receives Christ and a new generation begins, where children get raised with love and affection, where mom and dad say, I will die for you, that they speak blessings in life and not curses living out of selfishness. Oh, God, give me a passion for the gospel. And I'm going to be crying out for that as well. I want more, God. I want more. God, may we be a people that say with the Apostle Paul, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Oh, God, please. Please, God. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Oh, God, please. And let this be our cry. So, Father, as we turn our hearts to you in worship and adoration, I pray your Holy Spirit would fall. And, God, if we all get this today, we will see a revival break forth. We'll see a revival break forth. And families will be changed forever. People will be snatched from hell. And your word, God, your word 
were to take its rightful place in our congregation, but also, God, in our city. And so we just intercede, God. We come before you, holy God. Help us to worship now. And Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know where they're going, that if they were to die today, they're not sure, I pray you would bring them forward for prayer. Prayer partners, come on up, please. We ask this all in Jesus' name. We bind the enemy in Jesus' name, and we pray, God, for freedom today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.